You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Sarah Panouse hosts a great podcast called Marketing with Empathy. Sarah, tell us what these fine folks will get when they listen. Marketing with Empathy is a weekly podcast, and it's designed for brand content marketers who want to connect with their audiences through storytelling and are looking for help to do it better. Plus, like enjoy that recognition, growth, and just joy that comes from creating great work. Awesome. Where can people subscribe? Yeah, head on over to marketingpodcast.net and you will see the Marketing with Empathy show there. Otherwise, wherever you listen to podcasts, you'll find Marketing with Empathy. You heard her. Go subscribe. Hey, everyone. You are listening to another episode of the All Things Private Practice podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Cassell, joined today by, words are hard, (laughs) by my friend and colleague, Erica Whitfield. She is a licensed mental health counselor. Maybe I said that right. Maybe I didn't. All the acronyms are crazy in this field. And the owner of Positive Development. Development. I'll see. Words are hard today, y'all. It is uh, Wednesday. I feel like it's Friday. Anyway, we are going to talk about some cool stuff. Erica was actually a attendee at my Ireland retreat this year. And we got to talking about her vision and her love and passion for working with neurodivergent kids. And she has some really, really cool ideas. And I wanted to bring her on so we could share those with the world and talk a little bit about your stories. So Erica, thanks for being here. And thanks for making the time. And I know you just kind of mentioned before we started recording that you're nervous about this. <laughs> so I always like to bring that to attention so that we can just like drop in because it's it's fine. It's just a conversation. And it's about something you love. So yeah, take it away. Tell us a little bit about like, where this passion came from, why it's important to you. Absolutely. And before I even do that, Patrick, can I just say, you brought up the fact that I went to one of your retreats. And I just want to let the listeners know that if you have not done a retreat with Patrick, you need to do that ASAP because they're incredible. I went to the Ireland retreat and from the excursions that were planned to the delicious foods, the dynamic speakers, to just the vibe and the people that were there, it's something that you want to experience. So make sure you check those retreats out, you know, when you get the chance to do so. I did not pay Erica to say that. I just want to make no. sure say that out loud. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> like when I get guests registrations coming in to retreats and I don't know them personally, right? Like I always kind of do a Facebook stock. I'm like, who is this person? Am I friends with them? No. Who is this Erica Whitfield person? Had to do some like digging, found you, friended you. We became friends, but It's interesting because it sounds like you went on that experience because you listened to the podcast. And like, that's cool for me to know that like, this is having an impact. So your vision really had an impact on me because I think it's, it's just a a really cool idea. So yeah, please take it away and, and let's highlight what you're thinking about. Definitely. So I'll give you all some background just on how I came into the work that I'm doing right now. I worked in the school system for well over a decade and still consult with the school system now. And a group of kids that really started to pull at my heartstrings were the neurodivergent kids, who I didn't even realize back then. And I think many of the adults around me too, parents, administrators, teachers didn't realize that they were neurodivergent either. I don't even think we were using that word back then very often. Um, And it was so painstaking to see these well-meaning, very caring adults misunderstand and mislabel the kids that were in the school system. 
And so I'd see things like the kid who would love to dig in the dirt and someone would think that was a problem. Not realizing that this kid has hypersensitivities and is seeking sensation. You know, he's meeting a need. And I'd see things like the kid who constantly needs to get out of her seat because that's how she actually learns and processes better. Um, I'd see her get reprimanded and, and told that she needed to sit down and be still so she could learn. <laughs> Do the opposite of what was actually to class. So sit down so you can learn, even though this is obviously not your learning style and this doesn't work for you. Exactly. And you know what really hit home for me, Patrick? When I started to see grown adults who can't sit still when they're trying to learn something, that's when it really hit home. Like this isn't even a kid thing. This is the fact that some humans need movement in order to process better and take in information. Yep. So it it's so, um, eh, it, it, again, it pulls at my heartstrings that like we're not recognizing that enough and doing more about that. And then I'd see things like the kid who just needed a little validation patience and understanding. And that could have totally prevented the meltdown that led to him going into the principal's office and destroying it. (laughs) So so there's these simple shifts that we can be making that I've learned over time that are so powerful with neurodivergent kids. And so my vision comes from wanting to take what I've learned, put it more, put it out there, put it more out there so people can like latch onto it, use it, nurture and help these kids grow and then possibly do something really unique which is the vision of starting a school customized for neurodivergent kids it's amazing you know when you told me about this in ireland i was like blown away i was like holy shit that would be amazing i didn't know growing up you know that i was neurodivergent i don't think like you mentioned we didn't have the maybe we didn't have the wording maybe we weren't uh assessing appropriately we didn't have the resources whatever the case may be and I think I probably would have gotten labeled as like gifted or, you know, needs accommodation with A, B, and C or whatever the case may be. And I had a hard time in, in school because information came really easily. Like I could get A's on papers and tests. I didn't even need to be in the classroom. But what was really a struggle, like you mentioned, sitting still because I'm a pacer when I'm absorbing, I will stim, I will like I have to move. And that will lead to behavioral challenges when you're feeling so overwhelmed um, and you're feeling like I'm really confined and I'm really uncomfortable. So I had a lot of outbursts. Like I was probably kind of a class clown in a lot of ways. And I would say a lot of sarcastic, inappropriate shit. But really what was happening is like, I was just not being able to, I was not put in a place where I was going to be successful because it was just not set up for neurodivergent kiddos. It was more set up for a neurotypical learning environment. And I say that all the time, right? Like if I'm not looking at you, if I'm on my phone while I'm talking to you, if I'm like multitasking, it's actually helping me pay attention. But in a school system or in a work situation and environment, what that's called is you're being disrespectful. You're not paying attention. You're being disruptive. Um, all of the things that we hear that further reinforces like my inability to fit into this world. Exactly. And I can't even tell you how many times myself growing up, like I was mistaken as the the, the rude child. It's, it's really interesting. Like I actually kind of had two sides. So like, if you knew me, you know, my teachers loved me actually. Um, I, was, I was a model student. I had one teacher say, oh, I wish I could clone all the students and make her just like Erica. But personally, 
you know, like in school, I actually did thrive because I was interested in the information. So they were seeing like the best sides of me, but take me outside of that learning setting and put me into a personal social setting. And it's a completely different story. You probably saw that at the retreat, Patrick, like when we were doing like the educational CEU portions, I was like talking and sharing, but like put me, like look at me in the social setting. I'm happy off in a corner, looking off into the clouds and just like reflecting of everything that's happening in the day. That's when I'm happy. Yeah. And I'm glad that, you know, you were able to name that in the questionnaire that we send out for like, hey, is there anything that we need to know? Or is there any accommodation we need to make? And you mentioned, if I am being quiet, or I'm being introverted, it's actually because I'm having a good time. And I'm just, that's how I socialize. So again, another example of our own neurodivergent needs. And I think that when you're in a school setting that requires socialization, it can look like Erica's disinterested. She's not social. Like she can't get along with the other kids. Like she's not developing appropriately. Is I think imagining those could be the narratives when in reality, it's like, oh, I'm actually doing quite well. Like this is really working for me if you leave me the fuck alone. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's the message that I have to give to a lot of our parents and teachers too when we're working with like our kids. Like, Hey, look, as long as it's not seriously interfering with this kid's ability to function, if they seem happy, if they seem regulated, let them be. And we have boundaries around that. Okay, I get it. Like, you don't want your kid to like stay in their room for four days straight. Okay, that could potentially be some kind of an issue. But like, we don't have to make our kids feel like there's something wrong if they don't constantly want to be outside of the home surrounded by tons of people either. Absolutely. I mean... Yeah, because the, the sensory overwhelm and the overstimulation, it's real and it's really intense. And if you don't understand what it's like for a neurodiverse child and their nervous system and their neurodevelopment and how overwhelmed they can become because of the constant absorption of energy and the overstimulation, like I explain it as like everything is intensified, right? So like noises, sounds, smells, textures, people talking. If I know that I'm getting to this place where I'm really overstimulated, everything feels so much louder. Like the hum of the electricity of the refrigerator gets louder. People like talking next to me. I'm like picking up on all of these things. It becomes very irritating. It becomes very frustrating. And I think as a kid, when you don't have language for that or understanding or insight, it is further complicated and the issue becomes exacerbated when the parents and teachers and adults around you don't know how to support you. So spot on. So spot on. So, so with the, you know, uh, to, to continue with what you're saying here, with the vision of this school, we would have that education. It would be ingrained in the knowledge that gets presented to the parents that bring their kids to this school, to the teachers and educators who are working with these kids. Imagine having two classrooms, maybe even three, one classroom is for our kids with hypersensitive needs. And maybe they need like a lower like vibe, you know, a low key vibe. Maybe we're going to dim the lighting in this classroom for the most part. Maybe we're going to play calming music or no music at all because there's sensitivity to sound. Maybe we're going to like make sure that there's not overstimulation happening in this classroom. And then imagine for our other group of kids, you know, these might be the kids who are more commonly diagnosed with things like ADHD hyposensitive needs, they're seeking stimulation. 
they need it more because they don't feel it as much as the, the, the typical, the neurotypical person. Imagine them being able to have movement in almost everything that they do while they're learning. They're not expected to sit still. They have constant breaks. They're going outdoors more. So the school, the, the foundation of it would be about catering to the sensory needs of our kids and designing everything around that, you know, designing it around the understanding of what our neurodivergent kids need. I love that. And I think so often, you know, I don't have kids, but I know a lot of colleagues and friends who do and whose kiddos are neurodivergent and they have a really hard time finding school systems where they can go and be comfortable and be safe and be understood and be connected and have a really healthy learning environment. Instead, what happens is these kids get put into these classrooms almost in a punitive way, have these, I don't know the word for it, I think it's like IEP, um, these plans created for them. And then you have these resource like maybe teaching assistants who are, are really leading the, the classroom charge. And like, you're not really providing a structure where they can really thrive. Instead, sure. it's almost punishing them because they're different sure. and ostracizing them. Like, hey, let's pull this kid out of class and put them in this room. And right. I think it just leads to bullying. It leads to more heightened discrimination. It leads to a lot of ableism. And that's where you're going to see the kids and the teens who are really depressed and really struggling and, and just having such a hard time navigating the world. And I, I just imagine if there was an environment in school specifically for ND kids, it would be really like, I'm thinking almost in images right now, I'm thinking of like the X-Men in their like school system, right? Like- And that's my, that's literally what I think about when I think of the school. Yeah, what is that school called? Now I can't come with the- I can't remember it. It's gonna drive me nuts. Um, but that's what I'm thinking about is like how they were so, the the school was created out of necessity, right? Because it's like, oh, we have these mutant kids and teens and they're different and they're being discriminated against. But here, we're going to really tap into their style and their strengths and their superpowers and all the stuff that comes with those movies. But like, I think about that. And I think that if you were able to get this off the ground, that it would be wildly successful because you're in Florida, right? Yes. You're in a state, you know, to all my listeners, uh, you know, it's not exactly as progressive as some other states in terms of how we work in terms of accommodation. That is an entirely different podcast that <laughs> we're going to need way more than an hour to do. More time. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that this could be the start of something that could really lead to a movement where you're starting to see maybe you could create some like some real funding here and you can start developing schools in different areas because this is needed. This is a necessity. And if you're able to tap into the potential of these kids, really be affirmative in terms of being neurodiverse uh, and neurodivergent affirmative, having the right resources, I would have like clinicians on staff. I would have like sensory soothing on staff, right? Like all are as resources. So there's so much you could do with this idea. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Sarah Panouse hosts a great podcast called Marketing with Empathy. Sarah, tell us what these fine folks will get when they listen. Marketing with Empathy is a weekly podcast, and it's designed for brand content marketers who want to connect with their audiences through storytelling and are looking for help to do it better. Plus, like enjoy that recognition, growth, and just joy that comes from creating great work. 
Awesome. Where can people subscribe? Yeah, head on over to marketingpodcast.net and you will see the Marketing with Empathy show there. Otherwise, wherever you listen to podcasts, you'll find Marketing with Empathy. You heard her. Go subscribe. Absolutely. And I want to read a quote off from Carol Black. She's an educational analyst, director, and producer. Um, And it kind of speaks to what we're talking about right now. And it's the perfect time to bring it up. So I'm pulling it up here. All right. So she says, We have radically altered our own evolved species behavior by segregating children artificially in same age peer groups instead of mixed age communities, by compelling them to be indoors and sedentary for most of the day, by asking them to learn from text-based artificial materials instead of contextualized real world activities, by dictating arbitrary timelines for learning rather than following the unfolding of a child's developmental readiness. Common sense should tell us that all of this will have complex and unpredictable results, which I think speaks to exactly what we're talking about. Yeah, and what better reason to create a system and structure that diverges from the typical? Because (laughs) there is such a necessity for, for these programs and these school systems and even these counseling centers for people who just don't fit into these boxes and what we know right as research comes out is that many more people are neurodivergent than we probably assume a lot of whom go undiagnosed for a multitude of reasons but what we also understand is that if you're an adhd or adult or autistic adult the odds of you having an adhd or autistic kiddo are pretty fucking high Mm -hmm. so we have to assume that there is a need for this that is not being met. So the real question becomes, how the hell does this thing get off the ground? (laughs) There's an infinite number of ways. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I think that to your point, we have so many parents who really have this need. And and there's a a group specifically. There's a group specifically of neurodivergent kids and they're called twice exceptional. So these are kids who are actually gifted, but also have ADHD or autism or both. Um, or all three. And so what's happening is, is that there's such a need, there's there's such hopelessness amongst parents of where can I find a place that's going to understand my kids and help my kids instead of judge and label them, that the energy is already there. So right now, my part putting this together is bringing together almost like a team of parent Avengers. Okay. So we've got a uh, mom who decides to pull her child out of home school. We have a mom who's unschooling. We have dads who um, are not happy with what's happening in the classroom with their kids. We have a parent who is happy, you know, like she actually brought her kids here and we were able to talk with the educators to make some serious changes in the classroom. And now that kid's thriving, okay? Um, and, And so we're putting together this team And my vision is that we're first just going to grow some educational awareness, go into the schools, talk about how to make your classrooms neurodivergent friendly, and then we're going to just spin off on our own thing. And we're slowly going to start figuring out how we want to put this together. That, you know, I don't don't want this to necessarily be an indoor facility. You know, what is this going to look like? Are we going to be outside for most of the days on each day? Is it going to be like a drop in and drop out kind of thing? Is it going to be a supplemental thing? I'm not sure how it's going to look, but I know we've got the energy and momentum to make this happen. I think it's a hell of an idea. And I think that you're onto something for sure. And 
but you know, that's really why I wanted to have you on here because I think sharing this message, not just to people who are listening, but for yourself, hopefully acts as like a catalyst for momentum, because I know when we have our ideas like close to the vest or in our heads or in our small circles, they don't necessarily always grow. But I do think the more we put them out to the world, the more likely it is that this starts some sort of chain reaction. So I really hope that that's what can happen because I do believe in what you're trying to do. Absolutely. Yeah. And I so believe what you talked about is like putting that energy out there. You know, like energy is infinite. You put one ripple out there and you have no clue how much that is going to continue to impact the next person and the next and the next there are things that we have contributed to in this world that we have no clue we even contributed to, but it's because of an action or actions that we took. So yeah, we're going to start putting our first actions down and see how far we can ripple this into the vision that it's going to, to become. That's really cool. And once you get to the investing phase, I'd love to be a part of it because I think this is a really cool concept and I, I really do believe that this is, this is necessary. So Really awesome idea, Erica, and I'm glad that you're able to talk about it passionately. And I think that provided that you can continue on this path, who the hell knows what the next five years can look like? Right, right. And I know like that's sort of the, what I wanted to talk about today too, you know, like all of us, like we're all in private practice here, or most of us are in private practice who are listening. And what does it look like to continue to move like forward into that next step to that like higher level part of yourself that's going to do these huge things that maybe you can't even imagine right now you know um so i mean like i just i just look at your journey patrick of like starting like your, your private practice and you transformed it into a coaching business and now you have this incredible retreat like empire that you're creating and i think that you represent um an example of what all of us are capable of doing and so it comes down to what you said, we've got to start putting actions into place. So I would love to just share, you know, three kind of tips that I have for anyone who's interested in looking past like what their next level of private practice might look like. Absolutely. I'm happy to talk about that for sure. Awesome. So one of the first things I wanted to encourage people to do is just to ask themselves the question, and this might be a little controversial. You may agree, you may disagree, but... Are you doing things because you want to do them or because you feel like you're obligated to do them? And I would really like take an inventory of that, you know, like write down everything it is that you currently have on your plate and then look at what am I doing that makes sense? What feels aligned? And then what do I want to push out of here? And it can get so complicated with that because sometimes you look at your list and the things that you don't want to do are bringing you in like the most revenue. And then you have to like sit and kind of resonate with that and figure out what that means. Um, but, but um, I, you know, I did this chart once and I mapped out like, okay, I'm doing this. It's making me the most money. I'm doing this. It's making me the least money and blah, 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 blah. And then you just kind of put it together. What you want this future to look like. Are you doing it because you want to do it? Or are you doing it because you feel like you have to do it? Absolutely. I think that's a really intentional way of looking at your business structure mm -hmm. and Post throat surgery and even prior, I stopped doing individual coaching. And individual coaching makes me a lot of money. And after throat surgery, since October, I've probably had about 100 people reach out and say, I want to work with you. I don't see the link on your website. Like, how do I sign up? And how do we start this process? And 
these are not like even warm leads. These are people who are actively coming like, hey, I want to give you money. How do I do that? But I had to look at my energy and my capacity and my joy and recognizing individual coaching was no longer bringing me any of those things. It was actually doing the opposite. So hard decision to make, but decided I no longer want to do this, even though it's going to bring X amount of money in, it frees up time and energy and creativity to place them elsewhere. And I know that if I'm looking at capacity and limitations and energy, if I'm going to host these retreats, you know, four or five times a year, and I'm going to need a two-month recovery process to get through them after, afterwards, individual coaching no longer fits in. Like that's not something that, that can work in my business structure. So for those of you listening, pivoting, adapting, evolving, changing, shifting, that's a part of entrepreneurship. You're going to be interested and passionate about something one day. Six months later, that may no longer be the case. Don't shame yourself for that. Allow yourself to just recognize like, okay, that was part of a journey onto the next thing and now create something that feels really inspiring again. Because anytime we feel inspired, we're going to market it with more enthusiasm. It's going to feel more energizing to us. We're going to show up better instead of feeling like I have to do this because this is what I do. Exactly. So, um, you know, as you talk about that, I just started thinking about like all the people that kind of get stuck in there. And it, it's so hard to give up something sometimes that's working because you don't quite know if something else is going to come and replace it. And yep. so we never want to give it up because like we don't necessarily see like what the end result is going to be. We just feel like we have this empty void. And if we can get past that fear of the empty void or thinking that nothing's better is going to come, that's when we can really step into some magic. I agree. And I think that's a place, you know, it's like this fearful excitement place. And I think both have to exist. And that's, I, I always say that, like, if you're leaving your agency job or you're listening to this and you know what it was like to leave a consistent, secure, every other Friday paycheck from a place that treated you like shit, mostly, <laughs> to a place where you then are creating your own way and you're, you know, the pay can be unpredictable as an entrepreneur, but for the most part, substantially more money than you were making. And then if you're going to start something new, there is that fearfulness again, right? Of like, okay, if I try this coaching program, if I try this retreat or this podcast, or I want to move to private pay only, there's always going to be risk when we're doing something new. But that's the fun and the beauty of owning your own business is creating your own way and getting to decide when something is no longer serving you or meeting your needs. I like to step into that fearful place now instead of running from it. I think fear and risk and anxiety is like a compass and it's kind of guiding us down the right path. So I know if I'm doing something new or bold or big, like hosting this fucking summit in this Italian <laughs> village, I never once thought I was going to say the words. I rented an entire medieval Italian village for an international summit. Like that feels epic. Um, really epic. Epic. But there's so much risk involved, right? But then the realization of like, yes, the risk is real, but the payoff is also worth it. Because if you can pull this off, this is going to be something monumental. And that feels like that outweighs the fearfulness that exists of saying like, nobody's going to buy this or whatever imposter syndrome is showing up for you when you start to create something new. Yes. All right. And you just talked about the compass and knowing how to navigate your way through that. So that ties in my next little tip here. Number two, 
And there's something called the learning model, right? So this was like put out there by a psychologist named Webb Vygotsky. And he talks about how at any given time, we're somewhere on this model. So imagine a curve. Now, if we're too low on the curve, we're in our comfort zone, okay? So an example of like me breaking out of a comfort zone was you talked about agency jobs and staying there. When I left and said, I'm about to start my own business, they said, please don't go. We'll make you vice president. Okay, well, that would have been great, all right? Steady salary, much higher status, prestige, the ability to have more power to do greater things in the organization. That's wonderful, but that's not where my heart was. So if I stayed there, that would have been comfort. Even in growth, you know, it was a promotion. But even in that growth, it would have still been considered my comfort zone. I wanted to step out and do something different. Right now, in that model, you can also tip over the curve. Now, when you tip over the curve, you're in panic. And when you're in panic, that's when you may paralyze yourself. You've taken on so much that you can't think anymore. And so now you're just paralyzed, right? You got to like come back over that curve. And so the sweet spot, use your compass to get to that sweet spot. And that's your growth period. And it's, it's really interesting because the growth zone is so very close to the panic zone. It's like you have to get as close to it as possible before tipping over into like paralyzation in and fear where your survivor response gets activated and you're in like flight freeze or fawn you know you might need the fight and you're in the panic zone absolutely i think you do have to teeter on that line of panic and fear and and comfort like and i think anytime we're going to take a risk and step out of our comfort zone our nervous system and our our body and our prefrontal cortex kick in they're like this is risky don't do it this is unsafe and if you had stayed and taken that vice presidential role, which I always wonder, like, why couldn't this have been offered to me before I put my notice in? Like, why weren't you going to offer me this job beforehand? Uh, <laughs> but ultimately, if you're staying around and you're making decisions based on safety and security and like, even though it's not where your passion lies, I think then in a couple months, you're then saying, I don't really like this job anymore. Even though I accepted this promotion, now I feel guilty for leaving or I feel guilty for even considering doing something different. You have to really be aligned and anchored into what makes sense for you. And, and your why is really important. Yeah, it's short-term results. Like when you do those things that you're doing because they feel safe and they feel like they're going to give you like those immediate results that are going to increase your feelings of security. Number one, that's a false sense of security because you can take that VP role and then something happened with the company and now you're unemployed, right? Yep. So you know, I think we need to stop trying to latch on to these false security blankets because really the greatest security that exists is the security that we can produce ourselves. We know that we can count on ourselves. I agree 100%. So the third thing is, um, and again, this one, you know, you may like it, you may not. Stop giving all the credit to future you. There's a lot of, there's something called the achievement trap and for this conversation, I'll call it the confidence trap. And the confidence trap is when you say, well, I'll be more confident when you know, I graduate this graduate degree and I'll be more confident when I get this license and I'll be more confident when I get these certifications and I'll be more confident when I have all of this experience, you know, um, when I'm a world-renowned speaker. And the reality is, is like this future you that you're thinking about that's going to be more confident hasn't done anything yet. Like, it's past you and current you that's creating this vision. So give the credit to all of the things that you have done and give the gratitude for all of the things that you have done. 
you know, and the things that you're doing now and, and, and the confidence and trust in what you can do now, because what you're doing now is what's creating this vision that you have in your mind. That's a great point. I think we get caught up in that all the time, not just as mental health professionals, entrepreneurs in general. I always hear like, when I, when I'm EMDR trained, I'll be a better therapist or like, then people will want to work with me. Or like, if I do these trainings and I do this thing, then become the expert. It's like, you know what you have, you know, what's inside of you, you know, the answers to a lot of these, these situations. And I think it's, it's really easy to say, like, when I do this, I'll be more confident. When I do this, I'll be more confident. I can speak confidently and say, like, I've now hosted six retreats in the last year. All of them have sold out. They've all been wonderful experiences. I'm never confident going into those fucking events. Like, there are so many variables. There's so much doubt going on. There's so much anxiety. But I do think you have to lean into that a little bit and just absorb, like, both can be true. Like, you can be good at something and you can still question your ability to complete the task. Because I think that's a really nice place to be because the self-doubt is creating humility. It's allowing you to show up authentically. It's allowing you to be real. And then you, you do know you have these skills that you can put into place to move through A, B, and C. So I like being in that space of like, I know I've done it before that I can resource and anchor into. And I am really insecure or imp having imposter syndrome or self-doubt about my ability to put on a good event. So like I, I live in that space all the time. But I think it's a difference now of like saying in the past, this imposter syndrome would show up and be debilitating or paralyzing and be preventative from moving forward. And now it's more like I acknowledge that it exists. It's here. Okay, this makes sense. And I'm going to do the thing anyway. And I think that's really the space that most of us are trying to get to is like, I don't want the imposter syndrome to drive the car. I want it to be like in the sidecar next to me. Yeah. <laughs> You're reminding me of like that famous quote, leap in the net will appear. Don't worry about the how, just focus on the vision. And then that's, I, I firmly believe like putting your intent on the fact that you're going to create something is what actually produces the how to come to you. Absolutely. Um, and I think too, that when we get too bogged down into the details, we, we actually limit ourselves. You know, like I always like to ask people to tell me a word that they've never heard before. And they look at me like, you know, I'm crazy. And they're like, what do you mean? How can I do that? I'm like, exactly. There are dreams out there that you haven't even been able to imagine yet because they're that incredible and that outside of your awareness. Okay. So just like that word that exists out there that you know nothing of, imagine the fact that there are dreams beyond your wildest imagination that can lead to so much joy in your life. You have no clue what they are. But taking that first step, and that second and that third gets you closer and closer and closer to it. It starts to get into alignment like you're talking about. And then you start to see this really cool thing unfold that you never could have even like dreamed of or planned. Yeah, absolutely. I think most of us who started in grad school, our goal was to get a job at an agency. That's all we knew. Um, then your goal is to become a private practice owner. And that's all you know. And that can be a finish line for a lot of people. But ultimately you don't know what you don't know, right? And once you get into a new environment, you take more risks, more creativity starts to happen, you have more time, you have more autonomy, you start to come up with these ideas. And then it becomes, I'm going to create this school for neurodivergent kids. Then it becomes, I'm going to host a summit in an Italian village. Like, none of those things were on my radar when I graduated in 2015. That was not a possibility. That was not a career choice. That was not even a thing that existed. So 
it is about taking these little steps and these risks that build on top of each other. Because every time you take a new risk, no matter how small, it builds your confidence to take another. And it allows you to say, I've done it before, I can do it again. When that feeling of, I never am going to create something new or I don't know what I'm doing, those are the times to anchor into the times that you were able to do that, no matter how minuscule or insignificant they may seem in the moment. 100%. You know, and I read something that said too, um, all we have to do is focus on bringing our unique selves to the world and whatever it is that we're supposed to be giving and the universe will take care of us. Imagine that. Uh, don't worry about like how you're going to pay this and don't worry about what people are going to think of you and don't worry about whether or not you're good enough. Like just bring what you can to the table, share that unique gift that you are brought into this world to bring and everything else is going to take care of you. And I know there are a lot of naysayers that are rolling their eyes right now that may roll their, probably not this podcast because you got some great dreamers on here. Um, but some people will roll their eyes on that and say, okay, well, yeah, Erica, pipe dream. But in my experiences, that's always proven to be true. Whenever I've taken those risks that you're talking about, it's always paid off. And I would never go back and make a different decision. Uh, we talk about that VP position. I'm totally uninterested in doing that right now. You know, what I have created now is so much more meaningful. It's so much more aligned. And the more you get aligned, the more you start bringing these experiences to you that feel so right. And they almost sometimes come with ease at times. So it's, it's a really cool thing to experience and step into. I love that. I really do. I couldn't say it better myself. I think that's a wonderful, wonderful ending point for this conversation. So really cool to talk to you today about all this. Still bitter that you beat me in hurling competition on the beach in Ireland. I don't know how you did that, but you know. Um, but yeah, I, I love the vision. Really love the passion that you're bringing to this idea. And it's it's been a pleasure kind of having this conversation today and just hope that we can stay in touch about what this is going to look like for you in the future. Um, tell the audience where they can find more of what you're doing and what you're putting out into the world. Yeah, if you're interested in about, you know, learning more about how you can support neurodivergent kids, um, especially just in schools and how we can like put supports around them that are going to help them thrive. Um, go to my website, www.positivedevelopmentllc.com. Send me a message that says, add me to the newsletter. And then every week you're going to get information from me about what we're doing here, um, how you can possibly get involved, and then just great information about how to support the mental health of neurodivergent kids. Love it. And all of that information will be in the show notes for everyone. So you have easy access to Erica's um, creations and you can stay in the loop. Thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate you making the time. This was awesome. Thank you. To everyone listening to the All Things Private Practice podcast, new episodes are out every single week on all major podcast platforms and YouTube. Like, download, subscribe, and share. Doubt yourself. Do it anyway. We'll see you next week. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Sarah Panus hosts a great podcast called Marketing with Empathy. Sarah, tell us what these fine folks will get when they listen. Marketing with Empathy is a weekly podcast, and it's designed for brand content marketers who want to connect with their audiences through storytelling and are looking for help to do it better. Plus, like enjoy that recognition, growth, and just joy that comes from creating great work. Awesome. Where can people subscribe? Yeah, head on over to marketingpodcast.net and you will see the Marketing with Empathy show there. Otherwise, wherever you listen to podcasts, you'll find Marketing with Empathy. You heard her. Go subscribe.
This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.